Stephen was giving me the turn on your uh, microphone, stupid symbol. If you have your Bibles, we are, uh, we are starting a new study today. Uh, in, in the summertime, we like to dive deeper into some books. If you remember a few, uh, a few years ago, a couple years ago, we did the summer short series where we went through all these prophets and all the books that we tend to avoid. Then last year, I forget what we did, uh, but we did something similar. This year, we're going to be in Ezekiel and Jonah. I want to call Jonah Josh and the Big Fish because I grew up on VeggieTales. But we're going to start with Ezekiel. But before that, I want to tell you a story about what happened to me back in February. Y'all remember when it was snowing? Hard to believe, right? It was snowing like six months ago, less than that. Uh, there was this morning, it was a Friday morning. I was laying in bed, and I'm, sit, I'm, I'm like this, and uh, I hear this trash truck coming up the street, and I had this thought. Yeah, I put the trash cans out. No, I didn't. I did not put the trash cans out. And I'm laying in bed. I'm actually warm. I don't sleep much to begin with. And so there was this time where I was like, I might be able to go back to sleep. Carrie's sleeping. Judah's sleeping. Caleb is sleeping. This is the rare time where, all two, where both of them are still. And I'm like, this is a beautiful, sacred time. And the trash can is coming. And it's full of diapers and gross things, and the yard waste is full of stuff, and I, you can kind of smell it because it's been sitting out there all week, and it's like, oh no, if I get up, I'm going to ruin it. Like, I'm going to have to start scrambling for a sweatshirt. It's like 20 degrees outside. I'm going to have to actually wear shoes to do this. There's snow on the ground. It's this dilemma that I've had. Do I get up and potentially wake up the house because I am not a quiet person at times, or do I lie sit in bed And listen to the trash truck go by and know, now I have to go find a truck, put my trash cans in the truck, because there is no room for next week's junk in these cans. And so I'm faced, have any of you had that happen to you before? Am I the only one that forgets to put the trash out on Thursday night? Okay, good, thank you. Uh, And so I'm sitting with this. Do I suffer now and get up and be cold, and the neighbors are going to see me, which is not, you don't want to see me in that, that state, do it. My hair is just out of whack. Do I, do I get up and do this, or do I suffer later? Suffer now, suffer later. Suffer now, have a week's worth of trash space. Suffer later, maybe 15 minutes before Judas awakes and terrorism begins. This is the dilemma I'm in. This is sort of what's happening in Ezekiel. Don't worry, it all makes sense soon. We're starting this deep dive into Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a, a prophet who comes to us at at, at this pivotal time in Israel's history. They've been taken to exile. They're in the middle of suffering, and they're faced with a decision that every prophet brings to the people of Israel. They're suffering now. There's going to be some uncomfortable things that happen now, or there's going to be some uncomfortable things that happen later. This is the storyline in most prophetic books, in in most of Scripture. It's the storyline of the nation of Israel. What fills it, and it, what, it's what fills most of our questions in life. Why is there suffering? First of all, why do we suffer? How do we respond to suffering when we come to it? And what comes after suffering? These whole things as I'm sitting there in my bed, warm, cozy. Why did I forget the trash can? Why am I suffering right now? How do I do with this? Deal with this. Then what happens after I take the trash out, or what happens there? Those are the three questions that we have in life. Why do we suffer? What do we do? Where did it come from? And what comes after this? This is the context 
that Ezekiel was written in. It's one of those books that if I were to ask you, in fact, let's ask you, how many of you read Ezekiel this past week? Yeah, this past week. I had to, because so, we're teaching on it. Ezekiel's one of those books that's weird. It's the scary books in the middle of the Old Testament. I, I like to call the prophetic books, especially Ezekiel, and maybe even some of Isaiah and Jeremiah, the scary basement of our, of our Bibles. We know that there's something there. We don't understand it. It makes weird noises, and so we avoid it. Uh, this, this is the, the prophetic books for many of us. But when we get when we dive into the prophetic books, we find the sweet message of Jesus in there. Uh, all scripture, according to Paul, is God-breathed and is useful for all of us in our chasing down Jesus. Ezekiel works the same way. Ezekiel had a caution to it back in the days. The rabbis would say that they have, people have to be a certain age before they read Ezekiel. Uh, that young men, as they studied scripture, had to be at least 13 before they can open its pages. They had a funny story. Rabbis have a bunch of funny stories and little parables that go with it. They said that one little boy started studying Ezekiel, and then the, and he, he tried to interpret one of the complicated words in chapter 1, and he tried to interpret it, he interpreted it wrong, and a bolt of lightning hit him. And so this is, what they, this is their scare tactic to say, little, little children, don't touch Ezekiel. And so they did this. They made this. So Ezekiel has always been some kind of this weird book. It has weird imagery. It almost didn't make it into the canon when they were, when they were deciding what books to include because it sometimes gets a little wonky in there. And so we decided, hey, let's study it. Let's look at it. And what we'll find in our, in our next few weeks of studying this and in our next few weeks of studying Jonah, that all of this points to Jesus. Every bit of scripture needs to be interpreted by the cross. And we can see Jesus firmly in Ezekiel. So let's start this. Ezekiel comes to us at a particular moment in time. And in fact, he, and then he, at, at a particular place, and he lets us know right off the bat. Ezekiel 1, verse 1. Ed, Craig, I didn't put this in. We'll go to the end of verse 3. Ezekiel 1, 1 through 3. In my 13th year, in the fourth month on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the king Jehoiakim, him, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, son of Buzi, by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was on him. Now scholars will always find something to debate. That's just what they do. Can we argue? Yes. Let's argue on this. And so they debate over whether the 13th year means. Was Ezekiel 13? Or had he been in, Ezekiel, or had he been in Babylon for 13 years? We don't know. That's not the point. Ezekiel is saying, look, I've been, I've been in Babylon. Most of the people will say he'd been there for a very long time, for 13 years. He'd been stuck there. Ezekiel was a priest. He was born into a line of priests. This is his 30th birthday is what most of the leading scholars would say. And now he's sitting, instead of being inaugurated into a place of prominence as a priest, he's on the river of Babylon. And he's sitting there. It was a drainage ditch. And it was like their little exile camp. And that's where he's sitting. So put yourself in his shoes. You have this calling. You have this position that's waiting for you. And the day that you're supposed to take possession of this glorious position that you've been born for, you're someplace else entirely. In fact, you're in exile. You are the furthest away you can get from your calling. Exile is something that is difficult for us to understand. Exile is not being homeless. Rather, it's knowing that you have a home, 
but your home has been taken over by enemies. This is what, what, what Ezekiel's feeling. Not just Ezekiel, but the Israelites. Uh, exile is not being without roots. You still have roots when you're in exile. However, your roots have been plucked up, kind of like a weed, and they're being held out, and they're being exposed. And think of exposed nerves. This is how you feel. You can be planted. You were planted, but you've been yanked up by your roots, and now you're laid bare for everyone to see. This is what exile means. You don't have the nurturing nurturing soil around you. Exile is knowing that you have roots, knowing that you belong somewhere, but knowing that you can't go back to that place. It's a time of disorder. It's a time of chaos. It's a time of weeping. It's a time of lamenting. Uh, The psalmist wrote about exile, wrote about this time. uh, In Psalm 137, uh, we're going to look at 1 through 4. This is an old Willie Nelson song. David wrote it first. Uh, It says this, by the rivers of Babylon. Do we know this? We remembered, we sat and wept. We remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For the captors asked us to sing songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They, they said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? They're in chaos. They're in a foreign land. They're away from where they belong. They are in exile. And this was the thought. God can't hear our praises. God can't communicate to us. We are away from our land. We are not in charge. Therefore, how can we sing songs about how good God is when he won't even hear it? We're going to hang up our harps and we're just going to sit here and wait. This is what exile meant. God cannot speak to them. God won't speak to them. It's disorder. It's division. It's chaos. We have in our society today signs of exile. We have division. We have disorder. We have chaos. Our families are divided. Our churches are divided. We are divided ourselves. We feel it. We see it. And we ignore it. But the signs are everywhere. Look at the suicide rates. They're climbing. Uh, Anxiety, depression, and loneliness fills our city. The most connected city in the world. Yet anxiety, depression, and loneliness. We have body image issues that everyone suffers through. We see violence on every corner. We have child hunger. We have so many people living within $400 of never being able to make it again, of being, uh, being kicked out of their homes. We have signs of exile all around us, and we can't ignore it. We try, I've tried, we say, oh, but we're Christians, we voted the right way, we voted for this to happen, uh, I align myself with this, uh, these aren't my problems, and so we sometimes turn a blind eye to it. And that's part of the problem. Later in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 16, 49, Ezekiel addresses this, and we'll get to this later. Ezekiel addresses this, the part where you say, this isn't my problem. Ezekiel says this, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy around them. This is the disorder that we see around us. And the disorder that we see in Ezekiel is intended to shake the people of Israel awake. Exile was a time where God was using it. He talked talked about in Deuteronomy 30. This is going to happen and I'm going to use this to shake you awake. And more than ever, this is what's needed in our times. We, uh, we don't need more uh, diagnoses. We need something, solutions. 
We, we don't need those things that keep perpetuating the problem. What we need is wisdom. This is why God raised up prophets in order that they would reveal the cause of the disorder. He raises up prophets all through the Old Testament saying, this is the problem. This is why you're in exile. Not so they can go, oh yeah, that's a great thought. No, it's so that they would turn, they would recognize it, and then they would respond to it. They would turn and they could be part of the healing solution rather than deepening the problem. And so today we turn to exile. And in our first three chapters, uh, we turn to Ezekiel, who is in exile. Yeah. And the text shows us three ingredients that are necessary if we are going to meet the call that Ezekiel has for his people. Uh, to, in order that we could function as people of wisdom and hope in this age that's full of foolishness and despair. The first, thing, first ingredient we'll need, if you have your Bibles, flip to Ezekiel if you're not already there. The first ingredient that we need is we need the spirit embodied. And this happens in Ezekiel uh, chapter 2 verse 1. It says this in chapter 2 verse 1. He said to me, son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Order is everything when you look at these prophetic books. Look at the order that happened. First, God tells Ezekiel to stand up. So Ezekiel's sitting by the river, the drainage ditch, the sewer line. It smells. God comes to him in this place that is highly unlikely in Ezekiel's mind that God would ever come. And the first words he says, stand up. First God comes, he says, stand up. Ezekiel stands. The Spirit of God filled him and set him on his feet. He's sitting by the rivers of Babylon with the rest of Israel, experiencing exile, being held captive, afraid, experiencing massive loss. The life has been sucked out of him, and he doesn't really feel like standing. Would you? I wouldn't. I just want to mope. It's his 30th birthday. It's a milestone birthday, and he's stuck here. He's grown, I think, and the rest of the people of Israel sitting on the river, comfortable in their suffering. And God says this, I know you're in the midst of loss and disorder, just like everyone else, Ezekiel, but I'm going to ask you, right in the midst of your own suffering, to become a part of the solution. Everyone else is sitting down. I'm going to ask you to stand up. God asks people to stand up at the hardest times in life. He asked Moses to go stand in the presence of Pharaoh. Hannah stood in the presence of the temple and prayed for a child. Deborah stood at the gates and taught in a dark land. She stood at the gates and taught. David stood up to Goliath. Elijah stood against 500 prophets of Baal. Gideon stood with an army of a few and chased an army of many. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember them? They were told to bow. What'd they do? They stayed standing. Uh, They didn't bow to the idol of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel stood in the lion's den. All of these times where it had been very easy just to remain comfortable, to not be seen, to just go along with everything else. God said, stand. And these people stood. Peter, in Acts 2, stood in Jerusalem and delivered the first sermon that would kick off the entire book of Acts and the entire church movement. Paul stood in the Areopagus in Athens and preached to the philosophers and said, you have a lot of gods, but I'm going to tell you about this one unknown God that you're missing. All of these people stood where it had been very easy to stand or to sit down. It's not just in our Bibles, look in our history. 
the story of Bonhoeffer and how he stood up against Nazi Germany. MLK stood up, stood for a dream for a brighter tomorrow. St. Francis stood against the idols of religious institutions. Our Bibles and our history are full of people who are led by the Spirit to not stay seated, but to stand up and be a part of the solution. These people who have grown tired of living a life that is squeezed into the mold of everything around them. God says, I want you to stand and I want you to fix this. I don't want you to live this accidental life. I want you to live a life of calling. I want you to live a life on purpose. This is what God means, or Paul means in Romans 12. He says, don't be conformed. Don't be squeezed into this mold of everybody around you. Break the mold. Stand up. To, your, to the culture. Be a person of wisdom and courage in this place so that you can lead this place back to the way God intended. This is what Ezekiel's being called into. This kind of living requires more than just our strength to stand. Ezekiel saw this. and he, Ezekiel was empowered for his calling by the Spirit, and so are you. The question is, are we listening and allowing the power of the Spirit to govern our choices so that you live an intentional life rather than the accidental one? Or you swept along the way with your attachments for material comforts, your attachments for prestige, the attachments for position, the attachments for power and title and money, all of these things that hold you captive. Are you bound to those or are you wanting to stand up against them and live the life that God's calling you towards? Ezekiel was faced with this dilemma. Does he let go or does he let the Spirit empower him? And when it does, it it sets him on a new course. And when that Spirit empowers you to stand, you'll stand up against the things that are plaguing our society today. Consumerism, racism, materialism, all the isms that we come across. They're destroying us. We have a new calling. God's asking you to stand It might be just simply talking to your neighbor. Stand up, walk, go talk to your neighbor. Cross the street, cross the divides. And when you do this, it'll be because you relinquished control and began listening to something bigger than yourself that's calling you out of the norms and into a new calling. You are going to be guided by the Spirit. You are surrendering control of the Spirit. This is what Paul means in Ephesians 5.15. Be careful then how you live. Don't live unwise, but live as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This being filled with the Holy Spirit, it means surrendering control. It means saying, I'm going to do what the Spirit is telling me to do. I'm going to listen to that still, small voice in my head, in my heart. It's telling me to do something. I'm going to surrender to that. I'm going to be intentional about this. The accidental side is when Paul says, don't give in to your desire for more wine. Don't give in to the, over, uh, the overemphasis of everything else that this world is doing. Don't let that control you. Don't be conformed by this. Stand up. Allow the Spirit to enter you. And then, then, you'll be given a voice. And you'll be able to stand up to this. Many of us feel like we're in exile. Maybe Seattle is your exile. Maybe you're sitting here going, I can't wait to leave. I don't like it here. Uh, it's, it's crowded. There's a lot of traffic. If you think there's traffic here, go to Southern California. They win. 
Uh, it's messy, it's dirty, but maybe you don't like being here at all. Maybe you feel like going somewhere else. Maybe your exile is your job. Maybe your exile is your home. Maybe your exile is your family. Everything around you might feel like exile. Maybe you're just stuck in exile. And like Ezekiel, you're not sure if God's ever going to talk to you in this place. However, perhaps he is. And he's asking you to stand up and be a messenger in that place. He'll give you the words to say. He'll give you the voice. He'll give you the power. All your, all your job is stand and look for the next in- ingredient, which is courage. Uh, Ezekiel stood up. He was given courage. Look in Ezekiel 2, verse 6. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though, the, though briars and thorns are all around you. And, and you live among scorpions, otherwise known as Arizona. Do not be afraid because of the cactuses and the scorpions. You know. Uh, do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them. Though they are a rebellious people, you must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. Ezekiel's calling here is to offer an interpretation. He's been called to encourage, and he's been called to bring hope. He's interpreting why they're there in the first place, why they have their losses of freedom, why they, why, why they don't have their national identity, and ultimately their temple. He's explaining why they're in exile in the first place. This is a hard message for some people to hear. Imagine Ezekiel. He's, gonna, he's, he's walking up to these people who are angry that they're there. They think they know why they're there. It's because God left them. It's part of it, but they don't see that they get back up and see why they're there in the, in the first place. They've forgotten their story. And so Ezekiel's job was to go to these people who God calls disloyal and defiant uh, and go to them and say, let me tell you why you're this way. He has to bring them a tough diagnosis, which is hard to do. Pointing out where people have gone wrong is not something that the people who have gone wrong like to hear. Have you ever tried it? No. How'd it go? It's hard. They're disloyal. They're defiant. They're stubborn. They don't think they've done anything wrong. Yet here's Ezekiel's job. Okay, Ezekiel, stand up. I'm going to give you this. Go tell them why they're, why they're wrong. Is it any wonder then that God says several times, be of good courage, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. In other words, you're going to get ridiculed here. Standing up and going against the flow, living an intentional life that's filled by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, given voice to by the Spirit, is going to be hard to do. It's going to feel like suffering. People are going to look at you funny. And when we start to look at the way Ezekiel was told to convey these messages, it would make sense why he is going to be looked at funny. One of them, we will get to it. God says, go out, lay on this, lay on your side for 390 days. 390 days, lay on one side of yourself. What happens during that time? If you lay on your right side for too long when you're sleeping for like six hours, if you're lucky to sleep that long, what happens to your right side? It goes to sleep. 390 days of that. Imagine. And then, flip over. I'm going to have you lay on the other side for six months. Okay. So this is what Ezekiel is doing. There's going to be some strange things that Ezekiel is going to have to do. He's going to be looked at very differently. Now I need to find where my stuff was. 
He's been called, he's got to remind them that they've called to be, they were called to be priests. They were called to be a holy nation, but they've lost their way. And the problem is they don't even know that they've lost their way. And so Ezekiel comes with this massive critique, but God tells Ezekiel something he's told every person that he's called and given this monumental task to. He's done it to Moses, he's done it to Joshua, and he does it here to Ezekiel. He says to Moses, or Moses says to the people in Deuteronomy 3.22, don't be afraid, the people are about to go into the promised land. And Moses reminds them, don't be afraid. The Lord your God will, will himself will fight for you. Joshua in Joshua 1.9 has been given control of the entire land of Israel. He says, Moses, he's dead. Joshua, you're up. Next man up. You're, it's you're in charge now. And the words that, that God says to Moses says, haven't I commanded you? Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He tells Isaiah the same thing. Don't fear I am with you. Don't be dismayed. All of these times, these people are standing up and God says, I'm going to give you the courage. Your job is to simply ask or to simply lead, listen, and not be fearful. Ezekiel is in the same line of all of these people. He's got a tough message and he's going to be reminded that even though he's got a tough message and people aren't going to necessarily hear it with good hearts, he's got to be courageous. He's, don't be afraid to speak. But also, it's not be afraid to speak, but it's, not, it's also don't be afraid to listen. It may sometimes, uh, it, it's easy sometimes to look at the prophet and see that God is angry and vindictive. However, this, however the weird pictures we get in the prophets are always pointing to a larger picture. And whenever you look at the prophets, look for the word turn or return or repent. It's all the same Hebrew word of Shuba. It means to turn around. Turn. That's the message of the prophets. Look, guys, you're going this way. Turn around. Turn around. And exile for Ezekiel, exile for all the prophets, is the way that God gets their attention. I do this with my boy Judah all the time. We open the door. He plays in the front yard. I'll be, in the, I'll be there trying to pretend to garden. And he runs towards the street. And if I were to sit there and go, Judah, stop. Judah, stop. He doesn't listen. However, if I clap my hands as loud as I can, something he does not like. He doesn't like the loud noise. He'll stop. And he'll look at me and go, Daddy, that's real loud. And I go, yes, come back here. Don't go towards the street. It's, this is what Ezekiel's doing. He's going to them and he sees, uh, God sees them as rebellious and exile is clapping their hands going, hey, listen, turn around, come back. The prophets are scary because it looks like God is being vindictive and God hates his people. That's not true. The prophets are pictures of the extent of which God would go in order to get his people to come back. In Ezekiel, we start seeing some really wonky pictures of what God is doing in the land of Israel in order that they'll return. And and it's going to take courage for them. It's, it's hard for Ezekiel to, to, to do it, but it's also hard for Ezekiel to hear because in order to hear it, in order to give the message, he has to listen to it for himself. He has to embody this. He's stood up, he's been given the courage, and he's going to give a message that he first has to hear for himself. And so that's the last part of this. Eat the truth. Eat it. 
We've heard of this thing where it says that uh, you are what you eat. This is Ezekiel. Ezekiel was the first one to do this. In, in, in verse 8 of chapter 2, But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like the rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me. It was on a scroll which he unrolled before me. Both sides were, of it were written words of lament, mourning, and woe. Lament, mourning, and woe. Sounds like something we want to read, right? Sounds like the front page of the newspaper. Lament, mourning, and woe. And here's the other thing. He offers them this, this scroll which is written on papyrus, which is an animal skin. And he says, eat this. Do you want to eat it? No, it sounds like really bad jerky. This is what he's being offered. And he says, digest this. Take this into you. Ezekiel had to learn this, that the lament, the mourning, and the woe were things that the people of Israel had to experience. But in order for him to minister to them, he had to see the rottenness that was first in himself. The same thing is true with us. In order for us to be a part of the solution of wisdom and hope, we need to see that the rottenness that we see in everybody else is also rottenness in us. We don't come to this thing clean. In order for us to embody, we need to first uh, take our medicine too and eat the truth that God's given us. We've been given the same spirit to stand. We've been given the same spirit to have courage. And we've been given the same call to, res- to change the world around us. But in order to change the world around us, we need to be changed ourselves. The message of the prophets is something that everyone loves. Justice, justice, justice. We want justice. We have parades for justice. We go on walks for justice. We have Facebook things for justice. Justice, justice, justice. We love that part. But prophetic books have two sides to it. Justice, justice, justice is always accompanied by holy, holy, holy. Here's what it means. Uh, Ezekiel says justice, justice. But in order to have true justice, you need to live holy. And we find ourselves on two sides. I want justice, but I want nothing to do with holiness. Or I want holiness. I want people to live the same way I live. Believe everything that's this way to be right. And you get so far over here, you forget about justice. And the prophets say you can't have one without the other. You'll have what looks like justice. You'll have what feels like justice. You'll have everyone being treated right. You'll you'll have this, but you'll lose the holiness that God offers. You can't have justice without holiness. We shy away from the holiness, but you can't have it one way. You can't have holiness until you pursue justice, and you can't have true justice until you pursue holiness. This is the prophet's message to us, and this is what makes it so painful. The transforming work of Christ through the Spirit has to do its work on us before it be any value to anyone around us. It has to be pulled through us in order to take hold. Here's the thing, though. The prospect of receiving uh, pure truth is always terrifying because it, it shows you just how far you are from God's ideal, and every time it will mess up your world. Whether you're on the political left or the political right, whether you're on the theologically conservative or the liberal, whether you're private sector or public sector socialist or capitalist, it all comes down to this. You have to embody God's word in you, God's spirit in you, and you have to see your brokenness before you can attempt to guide people through theirs. 
It means that we need to come clean about the addictions that you might have. It means that you need to come clean about the disdain that you have for the other. It means that that bitterness that you've been holding on to, that you've become so accustomed to, that bitterness, it's time to let go of it. It might be time to learn how to forgive. It might be time to get over the disappointment and allow God to heal you. It might be time for you to let go of what is it that you're holding on to. Yet for some, the thought of this change or the disruption is hard because bringing light to dark areas is terrifying. Here's what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 2.10. It was lamentations, mourning, and woe. Nobody, nobody wants that stuff. But the results of those, if they would see the lamentations, the mourning, and the woe, what comes after that is what happens in Ezekiel 3, chapter, verses 1 through 3. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what's before you. Eat this scroll and then go talk to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving to you. Fill your stomach with it. And so I ate it and it tasted like honey in my mouth. The the thing that Ezekiel dreaded to do, the thing that he thought this is going to be too hard, it's going to be too gross, I don't want to touch it, He took a bite of it, and it tasted like honey in his mouth. The thing that you don't want to let go of because you're afraid of what's on the other side, let go of it, and you'll find the freedom that you have, and it'll taste like honey in your mouth. It may seem difficult, but in the long run, it's worth it. Some of us are lying down in life, with our trash cans like mine piling up outside with so much junk because we're too scared to wake up and actually go take out the trash in our lives so that we can live a life of freedom. We, we ask ourselves, what will the neighbors think if they see me like this? What, what, what will they think if, if people see that I have junk in my life? What if they open up my trash can and see all the stuff that I've been hiding? It's easier for me just to hide this. And so we lie around afraid And because of the fear, we'll never step into the life God wants for us. We'll never step in to embodying the uh, message of hope for the world around us. The fear of being found out is keeping you from the life to be found. And so today, just like Ezekiel, what Ezekiel is saying is to the people of Israel, I want you to turn, I want you to repent, I want you to confess what you need to confess so that we can return back to what God has for us, so that we don't keep going in this cycle of exile. And I wonder the freedom that we can have in our community if we do the same thing. When you walked in, you were given a three-by-five card, uh, and hopefully you have a pen. If you don't have a pen, uh, we can imagine for a minute. There are, we each have trash cans in our lives. And where some of us have grown comfortable with the trash, we've ignored the smell of it for so long, but it's just standing out there, piling up, festering maggots and flies and rats, and it just sits there in our lives, and we're ignoring it because it would be too painful to let it go. We don't want to get up out of bed, and so we're just going to disguise it. We're just going to put plug-ins in. Febreze covers a multitude of sins, and so we just look like we're enjoying it. But there's a part in your life that's decaying. 
my encouragement for you today. Write down what that thing is. Don't, you don't have to show it to anybody. You can write it down in pencil and fold it. And when you do this, I want you to say, God, I'm giving this part of my life to you. I don't know what it's going to look like. Here's what I want us to do. When Dylan and, and his, his, his band and his friends come back up, I'd like us to actually get on our feet and try something. Over here at the cross, there's pillows, there's baskets. On the basket to the left, I want you to put this card. Whatever you write on it, put it in the card. It's hard to confess it. And then in the next basket, I looked for a bit of honey. I couldn't find a bit of honey. I found Lifesavers. Okay, it's, it's totally young lifey and youth for Christ-ish, but guess what I grew up in? I want you to confess. I want you to come clean. It might hurt to write down. It might be scary to write down. But whatever's on your mind, whatever's keeping you, I want you to lay it down at the cross of Christ because that's why he came, in order to give us life and not just a ho-hum life, but life more abundantly. And then I want you to pick up a lifesaver because without this, life gets sweeter. And yes, Jesus is a lifesaver, but that's beside the point, way too cliche. In order to see that this confession, what Ezekiel found out, that this confession, this repentance, this not living the accidental life is actually sweeter than honey. Take a lifesaver. Put it in your mouth. You're getting rid of this garbage that's inside of you and you're replacing it with the sweetness that can only come from Christ. So would you take a moment to do that as I pray? You guys come on back up. Do some examining. And then when you're ready, as they're playing, go drop it off. Grab a lifesaver. Pray with me. Spirit, would you begin to work in our hearts? Would you begin to identify the places that are keeping us from experiencing the life you want? And our fear of being found out, our fear of being exposed, is leading us to living this fake life and a life without your power a life without your freedom, a life without your purpose. So God, may you, in your gentle way, start bringing up those places. And Lord, may we turn. May we repent. May we come back to you in those places in our hearts where we find ourselves in exile, we find ourselves exposed the places that we cover, the places that we hide. May your spirit speak to those places today. And God, may we have the courage to stand. May we be encouraged by your spirit to act. May we embody your truth. It's in Jesus' name.